0: Old powers waken. Shadows stir. An age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us. An age for gods and heroes.
1: The glass candles are burning and you're listening to the Obsidian Knights Podcast. back with another episode of obsidian Nights. so quick update before i jump into the juice i've decided to have rotating guests on the podcast and the only requirement is that you love a song of ice and fire you don't need a channel you don't need a blog you don't need a podcast if you want to be featured on an episode of obsidian nights just go to my twitter at this gray area and send me a direct message and i'll see what i can do Also, real quick, Quinn's graphic novel, Tadia, has launched for pre-sale on Indiegogo, and it's amazing. You can get the digital copy, like, for as cheap as $10. If you would like to support him, then go to the link in the description. He has a lot of perks over there. You know, you can't beat it. Also, Obsidian Nights, I know this is coming out on Monday, but Obsidian Nights will be coming out every Wednesday. If you love it and are listening on Apple, please leave me a review and let me know how I'm doing. So, we're back in Winterfell. And today, joining me for one of the most pivotal chapters is my good friend, Joe Magician. (gasps) Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going good. How are you doing over there? You wanna let the people know who you are, where they can find you before we jump into this?
0: I was gonna say you're saying, you know, you don't need to have a blog and a podcast and a channel, but I have I have all those things, Greg. I have I have them all.
1: Yeah, a lot of people that are coming on have all those things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, you can find me on my YouTube channel, uh youtube.com slash Joe Magician. Uh you can find me on uh, my blog at Joe Magician. You can find me on the podcast feed because I tend to do these real long streams every Saturday, ever since like the quarantine stuff happened. Uh, those get posted on the podcast feed, The Wit and Wisdom of Joe Magician. You can find it anywhere you want in case you don't want to sit down and watch a two hour YouTube video, basically.
1: So today we will be doing brand two. So it's brand two in a Game of Thrones. So we're in Winterfell. And the king's party has went hunting, so Robert and Joffrey and Ned and Rob, Tyrion and Theon, Uncle Benjen, basically everyone but the girls, the bastard, and those that are too young to go. So I think it's interesting that this chapter opens with the king wanted wild boar yeah. at the feast tonight. <laughs>
0: George <laughs> is laying that one on thick for a little bit, wasn't he?
1: All right, so I was wondering, like. So we can say this is foreshadowing, because it's easy in hindsight to say, well, yeah, the king loves boar, he wants boar to eat, and the boar killed him eventually. But also, like, is everything foreshadowing? Like, what do you think? Is it a coincidence, or is it foreshadowing?
0: Oh, no, it's definitely foreshadowing. And it's even, like, one boar actually kills him, but it's this one that sets him up to be killed, because obviously we get to the point where... Brands left behind. He's bored. So what does he do? He goes climbing. <gasps> he discovers the dark secret between Cersei and Jamie. Like, this boars, for some reason, are coming for Robert Baratheon. They want him dead. <laughs> yes. Even, it's like, b- like boar machinations behind the scenes. Like, we gotta take out this Robert Baratheon guy. We're gonna hit him where he lives first. We're gonna hit him with Jamie and Cersei. Then we're gonna come and get him later.
1: Oh, yeah, that's, like, okay. So I... I never thought of that. So, yeah, that boar led Robert away mm-hmm. from Winterfell, and he took everyone with him, and that put Bran in a position to be pushed out of a window, and a whole yep. crazy whirlwind of events have started All to happen. because
0: Robert wanted boar. Twice he wanted boar, and both times it basically got him killed.
1: A Song of Ice and Fire would have been so much better Like if Robert was just allergic to boar. <laughs> <laughs> or he just didn't have a taste for it. Like, maybe he wanted venison instead. Well,
0: it would be nice if, like, none of these bad things happened. But then, would we have anything to read? Yeah. No, no we wouldn't. It's like, who <laughs> wants to read about, like, the calm, peaceful times of Westeros? Like, that's you can just go read history. Yeah. We Without the high drama. I mean,
1: I thought about that, like, the other day. Like, I was thinking, like, dang... Ned Stark, did Ned Stark really have to die? And I'm like, yes, like that's the point yes. of the whole story. Like, he has to bite yeah. it, or there's no mm-hmm. story.
0: Just things have to happen for there to be something to read. That's how it goes. Definitely. It hurts. It hurts. It definitely hurts, especially when it's your favorite characters or it's something that's particularly tough to read, but it's like, no story without him.
1: There would be no story without Ned, but there would be no story without Bram. Without Robert going after that boar and Bran climbing these uh, walls of Winterfell, so Bran two in a Game of Thrones to me it's it's a pretty heavy chapter. Bran is basically saying goodbye to like the only thing that he's ever known and that's Winterfell. So when he found out that he would be joining his father in King's Landing, he was excited. Like he couldn't wait to ride down the King's Road alongside his father and sleep in the red castle that the Dragon Lords built. Um, He recalls the story of the knights from the song. Many that are heroes to Bran. But then today, like in this chapter, right now, today is his final goodbye. And they're going to leave tomorrow. and, And Bran feels Lost. He's totally lost. Um, I, gu- I guess I'll, I'll read this quote because I just love it and want to read it.
0: <laughs> Go for it.
1: Bran had been marking the days on his wall, eager to depart, to see a whole world he had only dreamed of and begin a life he could scarcely imagine. Yet now the last day was at hand. Suddenly Bran felt lost. Winterfell had been the only home he had ever known. His father had told him that he ought to say his farewells today, and he had tried. After the hunt had ridden out, he wandered through the castle with his wolf at his side, intending to visit the ones who would be left behind. Old Nan and Gage the cook, Micken in his smithy, Hodor the stable boy who smiled so much and took care of his pony, and never said anything but Hodor. The man in the glass gardens who gave him a blackberry when he came to visit. But it was no good. He had gone to the stables first and seen his pony there in its stall. Except it wasn't his pony anymore. He was getting a real horse and leaving the pony behind. And all of a sudden, Bran just wanted to sit down and cry. He turned and ran off before Hodor and the other stable boys could see the tears in his eyes. That was the end of his farewells there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there right
0: it's it's definitely very heavy on brand's part and um it's a lot of questions swirling in his head about um what does he like he's at seven years old grappling with what does he want his life to be about and that that's the primary thing that's going on here where he's a stark of winterfell he's ned stark's son he's a he's a northerner but then there's also the side of him that wants to go south and be a knight and be on the king's guard. Well, he can't be both. Yeah, Like, to go south is to abandon his northern heritage. To stay in the north is to give up these grand ambitions that he has. And he's also, I don't know if you picked this up, he's very ambitious. Extremely ambitious in this chapter. Because he talks about how um, he wants to be a knight, but he doesn't want to be any knight. He wants to be Bearson the Bold. He wants to be Ryan Redwine. He wants to be Arthur Dane. He wants to be famous for... He wants to be famous across the entire kingdom. And he wants to be known for being excellent. And, like, he wants to be the very best. Like, no one ever was. He like he, He's like a little Ash Ketchum. And it's interesting thinking about, like, when you think about Bran and how he sort of goes where Bloodraven tells him the rest of the books, here, he's like... I have I have this whole big plan. I'm going to be the greatest kid that Westeros has ever seen, <laughs> especially because he doesn't even really know what a knight is. Yeah, he has no he has no real conception other than these guys are famous and respected.
1: Yeah, just what he hears in the stories, and mm-hmm. he kind of gets like a reality check because Jaime Lannister comes with the king's party to winterfell so bran is like met him and rob's all like you know he shouldn't really count as a knight because he killed the old king and Mm -hmm. um he's met sir sir marwin
0: and and boros yeah
1: yeah sir and boros so like you know he's he's getting the actual real feel which i feel like a lot of these chapters with the stark children early on um especially Bran and John they have this like idea of what the world is and what it should be like because they all listen to the songs and the stories and I know Sansa gets a lot of like flack as being like this she she she's all stuck in the stories and the songs and she's so foolish but all of them were like all of their chapter like all of them were
0: yeah they all want to be like heroes like their father ned who led a rebellion and his best friend robert who's now king it's like they're being graded on this incredible curve and they're all turning to like these legendary and mythological figures in order to be like well how can i like shine in this world when your father is ned stark and his best friend is robert baratheon like You have to do incredible things to be even noticed.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, like, so I wanted to touch on Bran's age for a second. So Bran is seven. To Mm -hmm. me, I think he's a lot wiser than a seven-year-old. I don't think he acts seven. Like, Like, he's about to go on this journey, like this dream journey. He's been dreaming about adventure and setting out into the unknown. He has a curious mind and then the day before he set to leave at 7 years old like he realizes what he's giving up and i don't know if i had that brain capacity at 7 <laughs> to like have my adventurous dream dangled in front of me and then the day before i leave just be in utter despair because at 7 i would realize the concept of home and and like he doesn't mention his mother or Rob or Rickon, it's Winterfell, like it's it's home. Old Nan, Gage the cook, Micken, and Hodor, his pony, the man who gave him the blackberry, like they make Winterfell. They they make home. They have been his childhood, and at seven, he's saying goodbye to his childhood and becoming a man. And we talked about this earlier in Catelyn one, like how in this world you have to grow up faster. Like Rickon is three. And Eddard is telling Catelyn, like, he can't be a boy forever. Like, he's three. And I guess Ned feels some kind of way because he's afraid of his direwolf. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it, like, you have to grow up faster in this world. But I feel like Bran having, like, the emotional, mental capacity to realize all of what's going on in it, like, right in this moment. I think it says a lot about who Bran is and what Winterfell is to all of the Starks.
0: Uh, Yeah, for sure. It's definitely setting him up in the sense to be like, um, wow, Bran seems to be an exceptional person. I mean, that comes across in this chapter, too, especially with, like, his climbing and his dexterity and how he has like these abilities that nobody else has even before we know he's a warg. But this is also sort of uh, telling on George a little bit. Um, (laughs) He's said in the past that writing children is extremely hard for him. And that's one of the main reasons he wanted to introduce the five-year gap. Uh, If your audience doesn't know what that is, after A Storm of Swords, he was going to introduce a five year gap in the narrative to give his characters time to age up, a large reason because he he's not good at writing kids. he tends to write them older than they should be now he he makes it work he like he backfills it like you're saying, and with we know it with his destiny and his powers and where he's going, it does work, but it's also a side effect of yeah, George isn't that great at writing them and <laughs> writing he, kids he writes them, yeah, he writes them like uh. I don't know if you've ever read like Ender's Game or something like that. He writes them all as almost adults when, like you were saying, I remember when I was seven, I would have no conception of these things. I would be doing what Bran was doing in this chapter and being like, embarrassed <gasps> in the bold? I'm going to get him to sign my baseball card. That would have been me.
1: <laughs> well, I think that, um, that you know, Bran is kind of established as a, a wiser... A wiser child, like the wise one of amongst the Starks, um, but I do, I do think that there is something going on with you know Winterfell, like the importance of Winterfell to the Starks. Because in later chapters, like Arya, when she's in Braavos at the House of Black and White, and the magic candles, they make her remember the smells of Winterfell, and when she refuses to give up Needle, it's because she knows what needle means to her and it's not necessarily a person, but it's Winterfell and all of the people in Winterfell, like old Nan stories and summer snows and the heart tree and the smell of the glass gardens and all of that stuff. And I think it, it, it's like the Starks are Winterfell and Winterfell is the Starks. And I definitely think like in the long run, Winterfell is going to come into play like massively like in winds of winter there's going to be something huge that goes down at winterfell with
0: the starks uh somehow in the dark i'm guessing maybe nobody on in the page will be able to see it either because we'll you know the <laughs> broadcast. Will just, the long night the <laughs> we'll long night <laughs> it'll just be blank pages if i can't see anything what's going on but um yeah, I think that's exactly right. And there's also I also find it interesting the way that Bran relates to Winterfell because it's very unique and it's called out specifically in the chapter. Like you're talking about Arya misses the people and all all these other small parts, but what Bran really misses is what the main part of the chapter is is the climbing and his feeling that he has a unique and personal connection with the castle and the landscape and like the animals and the people in a way that no one else does because um you know he mentions throughout the chapter that he really enjoys being invisible he enjoys being up on the roofs and running and finding secret passages passages nobody knows about and it's interesting that that's his relationship to Winterfell like you said he wanted to go say goodbye to all those people he then skipped that and then went climbing, <laughs> and then said goodbye to birds, and said yeah. goodbye to to the to the broken tower. And it's it's so unusual, especially when you go back and you read some of the language that's going into it. Like, for instance, there, uh, Brand tells a story in this one about how he got punished for climbing, and he, they found him all the way up a tree, at the very top sleeping. Weird, George. I wonder what that means. But also, Ned calls him a squirrel, and in this chapter, we get the famous line where he compares Winterfell to a large stone tree, or a weirwood, basically. And it's setting up very early on that Bran's relationship to his home and the North, Winterfell itself, the old gods, is separate and apart from all the rest of his siblings. Like, there's specifically a line, too, where he says, I know Winterfell in a way that Rob never will. And I think that's very important to set up in this chapter going forwards that bran is part of the pack but he's a part he's he has his own way of dealing with um his heritage and how he's his identity and how these things are like mixed up in his head like you can't be the avatar of the north and also a, a knight of the faith of the seven you can't be a king's guard and also like a northerner that like those things don't work It's also the the dichotomy that George has built into him, these competing forces that makes him so interesting to think about.
1: Yeah. When you said, um, you know, that he connects with the castle itself, Mm -hmm. it reminded me of, because while I'm doing my reread, I'm looking for all the King brand shit.
0: Yeah. Big King brand shit here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, there, there was a theory, um, the Fisher King theory. And I feel like that, that, that kind of
0: amps up that theory a little bit. So the Fisher King theory is an Arthurian legend where essentially this uh, Fisher King figure who was injured usually has some kind of leg wound. Hey, look, Bran also has some sort of leg wound. Uh, is, he's part of the Holy Grail quest. And at the end of the Grail quest, it ends up with him becoming the magical ruler restored to power, basically. Sounds familiar.
1: Right. The way I interpreted the Fisher King theory was that Bran would remain in Winterfell. um, And that would become the new ruling seat. Like, the land thrives because the rightful king is on the throne kind of thing. So I don't, I, I would think that because he has this relation to Winterfell that he talks about in this chapter and that is really beefed up in this chapter i think that is some king brand foreshadowing
0: for sure yeah like if he ends up the king in the red keep i mean that would just make sense like historical wise but um you would think where an old god ruler would be would be either winterfell or like on the god's eye or something like that that seems
1: yeah like the isle of faces
0: but also the the connection to the castle goes deeper than that where it's it's very nature focused, where he run like he runs through the woods and he climbs high as he can. He's basically like acting like a bird. He's um he's interacting with the birds. He has this is the first signs that there's a relationship between the we between the direwolves and the kids. As Bran says that he feels like Summer already knows what he's saying. Yes. It's 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 very nature focused, but it's also Winterfell focused. But as the chapter goes on. You feel the idea of him being connected to the old gods and the children of the forest and like the real North, not just Winterfell, but, you know, everything. Yeah. All, all all the forest, all the animals, that comes through much stronger, whereas a lot of the other characters are more focused on the worldly part of being a Northerner, you know, being a Stark of Winterfell, being a vassal to King Robert. Bran has a very different connection.
1: It reminds me like the whole chapter as a whole and even this King Bran thing with him being related to the castle. It reminds me a lot of Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn and specifically Simon or Sioman or whatever you want to call him from Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn. First of all, you should definitely read Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn. I feel like it was George's primary inspiration for A Song of Ice and Fire. I mean, he has a lot of inspirations. For A Song of Ice and Fire. But he has said as much. Like you know he was inspired by Memory, Sorrow and Thorn. But I definitely think this chapter. Was inspired by Simon. He was also a boy that like. Climbed castle walls like an ape. And would get himself into troubles. That no one else knew existed. And he would like discover secrets. So he climbed Green Angel Tower. In the very beginning of the books. And Green Angel Tower is like. A ancient tower that was built by the Children of the Forest type race and um, he spies on people talking and that conversation will be a plot point going forward Green Angel Tower and Kingship and Simon and Memory, Sorrow and Thorn, it all comes together at the end of Memory, Sorrow and Thorn as I think it will in A Song of Ice and Fire. I don't want to spoil you guys. So I see a lot of that stuff in this chapter like there are so many different plot points of a song of ice and fire and one of the big ones peeks its head out in this chapter brand two
0: boy that just sounds dead on (laughs) that just sounds exactly like this chapter like that's that's exactly what happens
1: yes and that's exactly what happened in memory sauron Thorn. (laughs)
0: hmm interesting
1: but um, Bran, b- b- Bran's climbing, right? Um, In the illustrated books, it looks like he's flying.
0: Yes. Which goes fly- in ha-
1: hand in hand with his future.
0: A fly or die, as some uh, three-eyed raven or crow will tell him you very kn- shortly.
1: You know, what I also think is interesting is that Bran is afraid of the heart tree.
0: Yeah, he runs around it. He doesn't want to be seen.
1: The heart tree had always frightened him. Trees ought not have eyes, Bran thought, or leaves that look like hands. So considering that he will eventually be using the eyes of that weirwood and be a part of the weirwood in a sense, I find it odd that he's afraid of it. But I guess the only time you can be brave is when you're afraid. (gasps)
0: It all comes back around. Um, (laughs) I I was thinking about that, too. I read that back. I'm like, why would Bran be afraid of this? Because he's not afraid of the crypts. He likes scary stories. Like, why is this tree freaking him out? Well, knowing what you know about him in the future and that he is such a powerful skin changer that he's the one that is apparently showing connections to his dire wolf, the strongest and the first. Maybe he has some idea that it's not just A tree like how ned treats it he treats it essentially like uh like a statue that he just sits at the bottom of he cleans his sword bran may have a conception somewhere deep in his head that the tree is actually alive and watching him that it's not that it's not just in his head that it's real that maybe blood raven or other green seers or even himself in the future are watching and do physically see him when he walks by that would make some sort of connection sense yeah,
1: I think it's interesting that he's afraid of it. And I think it probably is more like he's kind of, he senses it watching him. Just like he senses, you know, that he he thinks Summer understands every word that he says. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of like that. And you know, another thing that's interesting about Bran in this chapter is that all of the Stark children have named their direwolves and Bran hasn't. And they've had them for like two months at least because it takes, it takes Robert at least a month to get from King's Landing to Winterfell at, at the least. So they've, I've, I would say they've had him about two months and Bran hasn't named his. So he says that he tried like a hundred names and, and like none of them were good. I mean, maybe that's a nod at like how important and sentimental and meaningful like Bran Stark takes things. Or maybe there's something else going on. I've never really known what to make of it.
0: So I had a couple of thoughts while I was reading. Uh, the first one is that um, when you look at the names the other kids gave them... Um, they are more emblematic of their personalities. So you think about John, he names it Ghost, and that's often how John feels. He feels like a ghost in Winterfell, that he's like an outsider, that he barely exists. Sansa named hers Lady, and that's how she sees herself. Arya names it Nymeria, a person she looks very much up to, would like to be that kind of warrior, queen, princess sort of character. Rob names his uh, Grey Wind, which, ha- which has some sort of idea behind it of like speed and battle and those kind of things Rickon just names him Shaggy Dog these are except for Rickon the other ones are more naming the wolves as a reflection of themselves but it seems like Bran is having trouble naming Summer because he doesn't know what he really wants he doesn't know Mm -hmm. what his identity is he's such an outsider like he wants like I was saying earlier he wants to be a knight of the Kingsguard he'd like to go on the knight's watch but then he also would like to stay in Winterfell. He'd also like to be Bran Stark and these conflicting ideas, even his little in his little nod where he's thinking about how Rob doesn't know Winterfell, how I will that's even that is a comparison. Like maybe I should be the Lord of Winterfell. There's a lot of confusion in brand in this chapter. And I think part of that is why he's struggling to name uh summer. Well, when we know he eventually does name him summer, it's, What does Bran think of himself? What would be a good reflection? Because of the internal contradictions he has. But the second one was also um, maybe a more mystical one. Yeah. So Bran has the, as we talked about, in the chapter George is showing off that Bran and uh, Summer, as he would eventually become named, have this connection. He's hinting at the warging between them. It may be that (laughs) Bran is trying to think of a good name for summer and he's trying to find like maybe the idea of a true name maybe the name that summer would give itself or maybe as he said that he feels like summer understands every word maybe summer's rejecting them (laughs) maybe maybe summer's like that's not me that's not me that's not me
1: yeah that's possible but you know the fact that after that coma dream i know that's a little far of the when he wakes up that he names his direwolf summer Makes me think like Bran knows. You know, I'm gonna face winter. I'm gonna kill winter and bring the summer. So I like that. But you know, you know, another like he says that Arya named her wolf after a witch queen. I don't recall Nymeria. I don't recall any stories being related to Nymeria that have to do with witches. So like, I'm wondering, is there something out there about Nymeria that we
0: don't know? Well, there's the idea of the Roinar being water wizards, so I guess in that kind of way. I think it's more that uh, this is telling on Bran that he's only listening to the cool stories about the males, and Arya's listening to the cool stories about females.
1: Oh. Well, that makes sense. (laughs)
0: Like, why would he care about Nymeria of Dorne when he has Arthur Dayne to look up to, and Rhyme Redwine, and all these other heroic figures that he could actually end up being like, I guess. Yeah, that would be my conception.
1: Yeah, that's probably accurate. It's interesting, right? That Bran, um, when he's get walking around Winterfell to say his goodbyes, he can't find John, and he thinks that John is mad at him.
0: It's only that he thinks he's mad at him. He thinks John's mad at everybody, and Bran doesn't get why. And specifically, he's like, "Well, he's going to go to the wall with Uncle Benjen. I mean, isn't that a great time? Like, why is that a bad thing?" And. we were talking about how in some ways in this chapter, Bran acts like an adult, that he's very emotionally mature in this moment, complete swing and whiff. Um, I also find that I find it fascinating that Bran has trouble understanding why John would feel like an outsider and angered everybody when he previously just listed off everybody that went on the hunt. Like not only was it all the Starks and their and Jory, but it was Theon Greyjoy, a literal hostage, and Tyrion Lannister, who everyone hates, and John gets left behind. It's like, Bran, make those connections. John's being labeled as lower than Theon and Tyrion, which is something to say in this society.
1: Yeah. And just like Bran is going through these experiences with saying his goodbyes, John is leaving his home too. And Winterfell is really important to John too
0: massively important he feels super connected to it but also an outsider which you'd think Bran would have some conception of like that should be something that they should bond over but instead it's john and aria that have that connection
1: i mean john and Bran do have a connection but it's not the same as the one that john has with aria because aria is an outsider as well even though she's not a bastard She's still an outsider, and she has felt like she was a bastard.
0: Yeah, that's true. And she gets she gets John. You can also probably see it from John's perspective, like he's really jealous of Rob and his position to be the future Lord of Winterfell. Maybe some part of that also spills over onto Bran, the Trueborn versus the Bastard thing, and also that yeah. even if Rob unfortunately dies, it still won't go to John. There's still Rickon and Bran in front of him, and I doubt that that just goes away because they're little kids. There's got, it's some sort of lingering resentment in the back of his head.
1: But um, like we were saying how Sansa has the stories of things and Bran has like the stories of nights and they all like take old man's stories as like canon and the songs as canon. They all do. And, but Bran and John. Both think the Nights Watch is like a fairy tale. <laughs> I don't know, like honorable. I they just don't understand no, it. it, and John won't understand Neither of them it. really oh, get
0: the the Nights Watch. Neither of them understand that the penal colony, how there's no honor to be found. Um, interesting that there's also such a age gap between them that John has not been cured of that. Although I guess who would tell him otherwise. But they also share. Um, kind of ambitions john thinks about uh similar sorts of heroic figures although he sees himself more as um daron the young dragon less a servant but even still john thinks about how far he can rise in the world the bastard and how far bran can rise in the world being a second son there's some overlap there in the stories and characters they seem to like and a similar naive, um similar Naive approach to them that George <laughs> beats out of them as mercilessly as he can.
1: This is so funny. John sees himself as a Targaryen, yep. a Targaryen, da- uh, uh, the dragon, the dragon, They're on knight, the young dragon, the, the young yep. dragon, the young dragon, and Bran sees himself as being a knight a protector of the realm a protector of the weak defender of the small so if he is like this this weirwood king that is going to restore all good to westeros like what does that say about what what he sees himself as like someone that's going to be a hero a protector like defend the weak uh, I think that might be some foreshadowing there It could also
0: be um, Misinterpreted perhaps In that um, Bran Very much wants to see himself as This great person He wants to see himself as somebody everyone looks up to And it's the old um, The road to hell is paved with good intentions um,
1: So for the record Do you think King Bran is evil?
0: I don't know if he's evil but what Wait. Oh, wow voice crack wow um i can't believe that just happened i'm 33 what? um i don't know if he's evil but i do know that if he wants to go from in a cave beyond the wall in a weirwood tree to the acknowledged king of the seven kingdoms he's gonna have to enable some pretty horrific shit to make that happen
1: okay and that brings me to season oh boy. eight. And we're just going to talk about it for oh real boy. quick. <laughs> if Bran knew that Daenerys was going to ignite the entire city of King's Landing, and he put up not one fight or fuss to try to stop it, let it happen, and then traveled all this way to become King Bran, then I think King Bran is equal. Well, he certainly has the... But I also don't believe in season eight. Well,
0: if even some version of that comes true, he definitely has the blood of King's Landing on his hands as much or maybe more than Daenerys.
1: Yeah. Good. That's good. That's good. (laughs) I got you on record saying that. (laughs) I always
0: thought that, Grey. I always thought that <laughs> the only way to get to the iron throne, to get to that place is to kill a lot a lot of people and do some pretty morally onerous things. And
1: yeah, well, you know, that was the plan for Jamie yes. that was George's initial plan was Jamie would like kill everybody that comes in front of him to get the throne. Yeah, you
0: sell your soul to get the throne essentially. That is true for everybody yeah. that has gotten there.
1: So it's it's like a long journey to get from this boy brand, this this loving, charming, curious, playful boy to where he's gonna go and how he's gonna get there. And Obsidian Knights will be down for the ride. <laughs>
0: Like we're talking about, there's foreshadowing here for a lot of King Bran, and maybe that's where he's going to end up going, and there's a lot of foreshadowing for Daenerys and where she's going to end up going. But you start this story, though, where Bran is and where Daenerys is, it's it's a real mindfuck that they actually managed to go from these desperate, as far from the throne as you could be situations, to actually ending up monarchs in some sense. It's That is a long trip. Yeah
1: yeah it is it's a it's a journey and uh, it's a very intricate journey there's a lot going on um it's on two different continents it's a massive story which i feel like is probably why it takes george so long to write i can't wait for winds of winter i like you just i was gonna say you have no idea but i'm sure you have an idea i have some idea yeah i'm pretty sure so, Bran before Bran takes off climbing, he looks down at Summer. So he's he's he runs like a- around, climbs up a tree and like he's jumping from building to building, but before he like he's, he's pauses and he looks down at Summer and Summer is looking at Bran and like they he she's they he's Bran stares at Summer right in his eyes. And Bran just gets, like, a chill through him. And then when Bran t- turns and starts climbing again, again, Summer is howling. So I almost feel like Summer is trying to warn Bran. <laughs> like, Summer, Summer ho- somehow knows something's about to happen.
0: Yeah, I, I got that feeling, too, when I was reading it back. He started howling when Bran started climbing, too. <laughs> he was yeah. like, don't go, don't go, don't go. Locks eyes, like, makes a silent plea to him, don't go. He disappears onto the roof, and Summer is pissed. Uh, I don't remember anything about that. Like that, Summer normally howls when Bran goes climbing. He even sees him, seems a little surprised about it. It's unusual. Yeah, it will be like ghost. It would be like ghost howling. It's something weird. Yeah, um, and he
1: says it. He says it like, "Shut up! You're worse than mother."
0: <laughs> yeah, that's like. Stop badgering me. I, I would not be surprised with how strange the direwolves are and how they seem tuned into magic themselves. That maybe Summer has some conception that like this is a moment of destiny, in the same way that everyone is seeing Daenerys hatch her dragons, I've I've made a theory about that, that uh, Daenerys hatching her three dragons echoed throughout history and that the Targaryens were continually trying to make that vision come true, well Bran's such an important figure too, maybe this pivotal moment in his life also sort of like ripples out through um, like the magical world and time itself of A Song of Ice and Fire, I mean that seems to be an idea George would be playing with, it would be interesting if Summer was not only aware of it, but would want to stop him. Because a lot of people have this conception that the direwolves are essentially like Blood Ravens' pawns, that they do what he wants in order to steer the Stark children to where he wants them to go. Mm-hmm. That he uses them as like um, to lead them by the nose around the world. But if that's true, then Bloodraven would be why would he be wanting to stop what was about to happen when it's so clearly uh, goes into his plans. I think this moment tells you that whatever is going on with the direwolves is separate <laughs> from what Bloodraven's doing.
1: I wonder though, like if Bran, does Bran really have to fall and not walk to become a three-eyed raven? Because Brendan Rivers, he he didn't he wasn't a cripple, so so maybe he doesn't necessarily have to fall for this to
0: happen. Brand that may be Bran's destiny that he ends up there anyway, but maybe won't happen in time. Like there's a time crunch going on. Yeah. Like Brendan, Brendan Rivers didn't go there until he was elderly. He was like his sixties or seventies when he got sent to the wall. Like they don't have time for that. Nobody has decades to wait for Bran.
1: Yeah, but Brendan Rivers was doing weird shit before he went to the wall. He was so, I mean was
0: Br-
1: <laughs> He he was doing he was doing weird uh three eyed ravenish type of things. Before he disappeared beyond the wall.
0: That's true. And Bran's kind of doing that here. I actually was reading this. And I remember talking to Aziz of History of Westeros on a Bloodraven stream. And we were thinking, like, what do you think Bloodraven was like as a kid? Like, when he grew up to be a spy master. When he grew up to be so tuned to the old gods. Like... I was reading this chapter back. I'm like, what if this is what it was like? Like, what if Bloodraven was running around the passages of the Red Keep, jumping onto the roof, climbing (laughs) the places he shouldn't be, like, getting in touch with birds like Bran is. And it's like, maybe this is supposed to be kind of a parallel, that this is, that eventually this that would have been the path of Bran, but maybe the children couldn't wait that long.
1: I swear to God, if Bloodraven, if we get, like, a brand in the cave, and Brendan Rivers tells him, "When I was a boy, I used to run around the Red Keep and go <laughs> through all the hidden passages. I, I would be, I will, I will be mind blown, and I will uh, tweet the hell out of this podcast."
0: <laughs> well, I think he definitely was because he was. A spy master, and we know that's how Varus operates. He has uh, little birds all throughout the castles. He knows every passage. You got to figure Bloodraven was doing the same thing.
1: Yeah, he definitely probably was. So
0: he definitely probably was. Yeah. yeah, he
1: definitely probably was. Like I could see it now, or or at Um Raven Tree Hall, so, definitely somewhere he was doing something. So like, um, it's no secret like Catelyn hates that Bran climbs. And there's, like, this joke that Bran climbed before he walked. And they Mm -hmm. did the whole clay boy, like, Maester Lewin did made a boy out of clay and threw him out of the window to show Bran what would happen to him. And he had stopped climbing for a while, but, like, he couldn't help himself. And um, he, when... Lord Stark found out, Edward Stark, he had punished Bran and sent him in the godswood. And Bran just climbs a tree and fell asleep in the tree. I think, like, Ned thought it was funny. He's, Ned's like, you know, you're not my kid. You can't be a kid of mine. And But I, I just think it's funny because Bran is gonna, like, he's gonna be the most, the person in the story that's most connected to trees and and that he falls asleep at the top of one just i just feel like king weirwood is just screaming king (laughs) weirwood to me
0: i heard that loud and clear throughout this chapter king weirwood king of the old gods king of the children even the idea of ned he calls him a squirrel well that's what the old name for the children were the first man called them like squirrels basically because they were always climbing through the trees and acting like that it's like Dead on, George. You yeah. work this You work this chapter out for many, many books. But I've um, never,
1: like, picked up on that King Bran stuff. Prior. I, I, prior. Like, I always knew Bran would be important. And I thought, like, his importance would be against the others. But I never thought he would be king. So going back and rereading it with knowing that George allegedly told D&D this... And that's why we got King Bran. It's been kind of eye-opening, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like when you read the books for the first time, and then you learn about RLJ, and you go back and read it, and it's like, holy shit, this is everywhere. It's like the same kind of thing.
1: So, how canon do you think the name Bran the Broken is? Before I get Ooh. into this part, I want to ask you how canon you think Bran the Broken we we both i think we both agree king bran is canon is book canon but how canon is the name bran the broken
0: i'm guessing it will be bran the blessed like the um the i think it's the celtic myth yeah i think that's probably the way it will go especially because um i'm guessing that in the books that george is going to play up the idea of the first old god king of westeros since like uh garth greenhand Mm -hmm. so that'll probably be a big part of it although which (laughs) i think will be kind of funny uh maybe the old god adherents will call him bran the blessed i wonder what the faith of the seven adherents will call him
1: yeah so i was thinking bran the broken may be more canon than we think or maybe may have the possibility of being canon because i started to think like in this chapter um Maestro Lewin throws out that clay boy. The clay boy breaks. Mm -hmm. And then Bran says that his favorite place is the Broken Tower. And um, there's nothing in the Broken Tower but the crows, the birds, and an ancient owl. And Bran knows them all. And Bran is basically in the Broken Tower when he goes to the first keep And it's pushed from the window. So I don't know. And then he becomes broken himself. But there's also like a quote in A Clash of Kings where he's like, Winterfell is like me. It's just broken. It's not destroyed or something like that. And... He talks about like the the roots of the weirwoods go deep, and the kings sit on their th- on their cold thrones or their dead thrones or something. It, it it's one of my favorite quotes. I'm surprised I don't have it memorized, but I I don't know. <laughs> like this chapter made me think, you know, what if it is gonna be Bran the Broken?
0: I guess it could be. There's good alliteration with uh, Bran and Broken. It's one of those things that's hard to know if George will keep that if that's what he's intending going forwards because so much of these of this first book got like totally retconned later. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, the my favorite one is the idea that Catelyn was supposed to die beyond the wall and uh to the others. Uh. And yeah, that one didn't end up happening. She ended up becoming Lady Stoneheart who reused it. But um I don't know. It, it's it's one of those things where George has totally left himself open for What he will use this name for? Like, for instance, he has definitely not revealed what Jon's true name is, although Aegon's probably correct. Like, he's been dropping hints everywhere. I
1: don't think Aegon is correct. I don't think it's correct. I feel why would why would Rhaegar name both of his sons Aegon?
0: You never heard of George Foreman? No, I have
1: heard of George Foreman, but like, why would Rhaegar do that?
0: I don't know. He's a weird guy. He's playing harps in Summerhall. He's uh, he's kidnapping princesses. Who knows?
1: Right. Jo- so George does do that, though. Like, um, I was reading something, some article, where he was like talking about when you write books. Like the normal person that authors a story, like they don't name the people similar names, even mm-hmm. like similar letters. So like you wouldn't have a Bran, a Brandon, and a Bradley. Like, that you would make it completely different. And and George does this shit where he not only names people the same names. He has, like, five yeah. people with the same names. But I just feel like Aegon, if you already have one Aegon that's going to be king, why do you have a Aegon? I don't know. Maybe it's like uh, where Rhaenyra has a son named Aegon, and they call him Aegon the Younger. And then yeah. they have Aegon the Second, which is her brother. I don't know. I just always thought it would be not Aegon since we already have one. But well, they could
0: also be Aegon the Sixth and Aegon the Seventh. Like you could also give them like weird little nicknames. Like you'd just be like, a, especially when you're talking about royal names. Um, a lot of the like throughout history, quite a lot of monarchs would have um, what would what they would call a royal name. You hear this with, like, uh, the popes. When you become a pope, you ta- they take a name that's different from their own one. Yeah. So, like, whatever his quote-unquote true Targaryen name is, with probably, like, 15 middle names, because that's how royals work, It's that's not going to be his actual name. He still always will be John.
1: Yeah, they do that in England a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of Henrys, a lot of Charles.
0: A lot of Georges. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, Bran... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we went on a tangent. So, yep. Bran eavesdrops on some pretty valuable information. So, we saw in Catelyn 2 that Lysotelis sent Catelyn a secret letter. And this conversation that Bran is listening to seems to be validating some of that letter because the Queen does not love Ed Archdark. She's um, afraid and uh, uncomfortable that, Ed's, that Ned Stark has accepted the handship. And she actually thought that he wouldn't take it. Like, like, he shouldn't have took it, in my opinion. He should have stayed in Winterfell. But then, like as we said in the beginning, we wouldn't have a story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, we get a feel of Cersei and Jamie, And we get more than a feel.
0: Yeah, uh, there's there's this, there's some feeling going on in this uh, in this whole scene, um, and some awesome descriptions of George from uh, noises, awesome stuff. Um, yeah, we see full Cersei being paranoid mode here. Um, she is reading fifteen steps too far into what Ned's actually doing. Although I guess she does correctly nail that Lysa uh, has worn the Starks, um, but I. Has not warned them in the the particulars of what exactly happened.
1: Yeah, so I think Cersei is concerned that John Aaron might have told Lysa that right. her children are bastards. And that's not the case. So, but you know what's interesting? Like, Cersei is actually, for all. She's right. She's right. And.
0: She is right. She's,
1: she, is, she is politically savvy. Um, When she's not sabotaging herself. But she, she picks up, you know, that she's like, why would he accept it? And we know that he wasn't going to accept it. And the only reason that he accepted it is because he fears that Robert is in danger. And he wants to get to the bottom of what happened to John Aaron. Now, Jamie... It's like, you know, there's a hundred reasons he could have accepted it. Duty, honor, he yearns to write his name large across the books of history to get away from his wife or both. Oh, and he also says maybe he wants to get warm once in his lifetime. But we know, like, that's not Art Stark. That's not who he is. Like, he doesn't care about his name being written across any history books. Um, it's mainly... He's going because he feels like it's his duty to protect Robert and find out what happened to John Arryn.
0: I do find it interesting that I don't think we've ever heard of a situation where Cersei and Ned like got to know each other. And Jamie has actually had some interactions with Ned, notably um, in the, um, in the throne room after he killed Ares. And it's Jamie who's figuring him wrong and Cersei who's got it right. Like, it's, it's very interesting to me that Cersei, like, absolutely gets his intentions. Yeah. Like, how did that happen? I think it was just, like, a plot convenience that George needed the paranoia to come out. But, yeah. Because she's um, smart. It, she is smart. It's, it's also interesting seeing the difference in their personality, where um, Cersei is trying to think in the high political world and think about she brings up that she thinks she's going to be replaced, which ends up being a plot point. We do know that Renly was trying to do that. Uh, he's trying to get Robert to marry Marjorie instead. Um, and Jamie's like, "Ah, don't worry about it. Let's go to bone town.
1: Yeah. Jamie doesn't take anything <laughs> serious. And we, we nope. will learn that as we go forward, like Jamie doesn't care at all. Um, but I picked this up on my reread. She said that, um, it's a wonder Lysa was not here to greet us with her accusations. So has Lysa made accusations, or is she assuming that she has? Like I think to so, Cersei, she's
0: assuming it. Um, I don't think, as far as I remember, as after John Aaron dies, Lysa takes Sweet Robin and then runs back to the Eyrie. Um, I'm guessing, well, we know that Cersei thinks that she did this in order to protect herself because um, she thinks herself and her son are in danger. It's interesting, though, that she thinks that Lysa would go to Winterfell with the accusations, with the intention of arresting Jaime and Cersei as soon as the royal party arrives. Like, she was expecting a trial.
1: Wow. I didn't realize that.
0: Well, if Lysa's there with her accusations, if you're accusing her of murder, then that's obviously that the Cersei and Jamie and any of the other Lannisters may end up with their heads on spikes. I That's that's kind of an interesting window into Cersei's world where she's absolutely right about some things, but this level of paranoia that Lysa was out to get her and had this whole big plan and was going to have like ill and pain there to take off her head is interesting and yeah. uh kind of a it george makes this more explicit in a feast for crows and how she's almost right and then she goes too far <laughs> that's what this was she's right lisa has something out to get her but goes too far with maybe um What's what's the right word for it? Maybe projecting what she would do in Lysa's situation onto Lysa.
1: Yeah. And I think Cersei, for the most part, is smart. And because she is a woman in this story, she doesn't get a lot of credit for being as smart as she is. I mean, she does a lot of stupid shit as well. And, and most of it is out of paranoia. But in a Game of Thrones, she isn't nearly as paranoid as she is like in a Feast for Crows. So, I think um Cersei's political mind is showing really early on in the brand chapters. And um she Jamie is like you should be thankful, you know, Th- be be glad it's Eddard Stark and not Renly or Stannis. And True. I've always always thought Robert should have named Stannis as his hand. Always thought Stannis that.
0: Stannis agrees with you. <laughs> Stannis very much agrees.
1: <laughs> because they're so afraid of him, they And the reason they're afraid of him is because they know they couldn't get away with the shit they're going to get away with, with Ned Stark.
0: Yeah, it's... Uh, but it's also, I think there's also the fact that Stannis, after Jon Arryn's death, left the capital, so it probably would have been hard to name him. Yeah. Like, Robert probably would have felt abandoned by that action. Like, uh, this is the time of greatest need, and it's like, Stannis is like, peace, off the Dragonstone.
1: Yeah, I can't believe he left his brother high and dry like that, but I also... You know, we won't get into that. We'll let the Stannis (laughs) propaganda happen on not a cast.
0: Oh, there's a lot of propaganda about Stannis on that (laughs) cast. Let me tell you something. Um, I wanted to ask you what you made of Bran's, I guess, his gymnastics and his skills. Like, I read this chapter... And how he's swinging from gargoyle to gar- gargoyle, hand over hand, and he's climbing up like flat walls, and he's memorized where exactly he needs to go. And it was one of those things where I was like, George, what would Brand's life had been like if you hadn't had him shoved out? <laughs> like, what, what? Where was he going with this?
1: Right. I, he was. He was a skilled climber. He was. Skilled, I mean, maybe.
0: Amazing dexterity.
1: Maybe when he was at the Red Keep, he would have been climbing around the Red Keep, eavesdropping. He'd have been a, like the, a new spider,
0: like yeah. a various <laughs>
1: type of creature. And, you know, the ce- this scene where Bran is spying on Jamie and Cersei, it, it kind of reminds me of that Arya chapter when she you know kind of finds out Illyrio and Varys are planning Hmm. in the dungeons and she goes back to Ned and she can tell him a little bit but she can't she doesn't know like nothing she's saying is really making sense
0: yeah it's an old conversation and doesn't quite grasp it
1: right which is kind of like what's going on here with Bran like Bran just thinks they're wrestling like (laughs) <laughs> he thinks they're wrestling and he thinks that, you know the, Jamie's hand between Cersei's legs is hurting her. Like she he doesn't know what he's seven. He doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Just like, you know, it's it's an adult thing happening. He doesn't know. And he will never get to tell anybody what happened because he's gonna be <laughs> pushed out of the window. So basically Cersei sees Bran watching them how and
0: does she see him how does that happen I don't know because he's hanging there and he's not making any noise and then Cersei looks up locks eyes and there's the line where it says "Bran." he says I must have made a noise but it, he didn't and it's the same kind of weird shit happened with John and Ghost where john thinks he heard a noise he's in his conception he heard ghost essentially yelp nobody else heard him right. and in this situation the same kind of thing happens where it appears that cersei heard something that nobody else in the room did
1: the three-eyed raven
0: maybe that may have been a a little bit of a help
1: yeah to force destiny to happen
0: like we like we were talking about how uh, Summer didn't want this to happen. Seems Blood Raven did.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. So Jamie grabs Bran and asks Bran how old he is. Bran says, mm-hmm. I'm seven. He says, The things I do for love with loathing and he gave Bran a shove. Screaming, Bran went backward out the window into empty air. There was nothing to grab onto. The courtyard rushed up to meet him. Somewhere off in the distance, a wolf was howling. Crows circled the broken tower waiting for corn. So, I mean, okay. So, first of all, Jamie saying the things that he does for love. So, Jamie rightfully so gets a lot of shit for pushing Bran out the window. Now, in the big yep. scheme of things, if Bran tells what he saw, every single person Jamie knows is going to be dead. Tywin, Joffrey, uh Cersei, Tyrion, every single Lannister will die.
0: And probably a civil war.
1: And and a war. So, I mean, of course it's the wrong thing to push Bran out the window. But in this big overall picture, like, it's a hard choice to make, I guess. What is the cost? What's the cost? You can
0: rationalize it. What's the
1: cost of one life next to the cost of a kingdom? Or what is is that they use to justify Um, uh, killing Edric when they want to kill him?
0: Uh, Yes, Uh, Stannis and they'll make the argument that what is one boy's life against the kingdom? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, one boy's life against the kingdom, in the words of Davos, is everything. It means everything. Um, And while I think that Bran had to get pushed out of the window in order to fulfill his destiny, I still think it's fucked up. And I think that's why this bad thing like we've just watched this whole chapter this playful boy struggling with saying goodbye to his home the the, the seven-year-old and then we like our first real interaction with the jamie is him flinging bran from a window
0: it's uh it is something else like just on a side note jamie maybe don't fuck your sister the queen so you don't put yourself in a situation where you may have to kill somebody to keep that secret like yeah maybe maybe don't do those things but anyway uh, like you were saying um, I did find this very interesting on the reread that I know in the show version that Jamie just kind of shoves Bran but in this one Bran is hanging from one hand he has fallen because I think he was like hanging upside down or something like that he falls or no he was Okay, I'm sorry. He was above the window falls and grasps onto the window sill with one arm. The other he's hanging on by his fingertips. Jamie goes over, grabs his tells him to take his arm, pulls him up to the point that uh, Brand notices that there's like marks on Jamie's arm from how tightly he was gripping. So he saves Brand and then he asks him his age and then he shoves him out the window. Like he didn't have to do that. He could have just like slapped his hand or pushed his pushed him in the face and pushed him off like he was thinking about letting him go he was thinking about um, mercy yeah and then decided no I guess maybe the age thing he was like he's too old he'll, he'll understand too much of what he saw I think this is the, the argument that Jamie and Cersei have later Yeah. Uh, basically that Jamie reasons crap he's too old I gotta kill him but I don't know that that he was willing to to show even a little bit of mercy to Bran that he was considering not killing him.
1: Later, Cersei kind of says, you know, um, I didn't want you to kill him. And I might be misremembering, so correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're
0: right. Okay, Cersei's like, that was fucked up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Cersei's like, I didn't want you to kill him. That, that, you know, whatever. But um, Jamie is kind of like, whoa, what was I supposed to do? But in this chapter, like, Cersei... Well, what did Cersei want Jamie to do? Because I think Cersei says, like, you know, we could have scared him or whatever, but th- she's, she's, like, he saw us. He saw us. So what did he, what did she want? Like, she never said anything. She never said, you know... Um,
0: no, don't do it. No. Yeah. Let's work this out. <laughs> she just says, like... <gasps> Oh, no, he saw us. And Jamie's like, all right, well, I guess I got to shove this kid out a window.
1: Yeah, but I mean, so Bran falls out the window and... Off Somewhere off in the distance, a wolf was howling, and crows were circling the Broken Tower. So Mm. Bran had to go, when he would go up the Broken Tower, he would feed the crows and the birds and the owls, and they wanted corn. And the wolf that's howling off in the distance is more than likely, almost 100% summer.
0: It's it's, especially when we know about Bran's future, the idea of the wolf howling, probably like, oh, no, Bran's in trouble. And then the crows overhead that are looking for food. And since we know Bloodraven essentially takes Bran and gives him to the trees and is kind of like harvesting him for his powers, sort of, it seems like it's um, the crows seem pretty excited about their meal whereas uh, the wolves are not so psyched. Tell us a little something about um, maybe who's upset and who's not that Bran just fell.
1: <laughs> yeah, but with the crows, Blood Raven is... Or with the crows, the Three-Eyed Raven is excited and uh, Summer is not, which Summer tried mm. to stop Bran from going up the walls. And that is basically Bran, too. There's that, a lot going on in that chapter. Um Is there anything you want to add?
0: I think at the end of it, there's obviously a lot of information being given here. And it's important for a plot reason that Jamie shoving Bran sets so much in the future in motion. It really exacerbates the situation that leads to the war of the five kings. But when you go back and read it from Bran's perspective and how he compares himself to other people Um, how he likes being an observer, not really a part of them, how he has this connection to nature and summer and feels scared of the weirwoods and has this odd connection with the birds, especially with his comparison between himself and Rob that he would know Winterfell in a way Rob never could. George is, in the second chapter, making the case for this, like, god-king-weirwood-king-brand already that he has... A connection to this world that none of the other actual lords and kings can ever compare to he is separate he is different and he is and he is um what am i trying to say and he is and he may and it appears he's being groomed for a very different life than just a king's guard
1: yeah and just a, a boy climbing castle walls. And just to like um go back on the closeness of Winterfell thing and the King brand thing. I I really feel like there is some foreshadowing that something's gonna go down in the Winds of Winter at Winterfell and bran nobody knows Winterfell like Bran. Like Brand knows in this chapter, in this chapter, Bran knows secrets and bridges and things that connect and the ground isn't leveled. Like we get a lot of Winterfell. I feel like we get the most Winterfell exposition, like just about Winterfell in this chapter, like the building, the castle.
0: Except for the crypts. Yeah. There are other chapters for the crypts, but yeah, the rest of the castle brand gives us the look into the soul of the building.
1: Yeah. And his chapters going forward will give us a lot about Winterfell. Very true. So, yeah. Bran's connected to Winterfell and um, King Bran. This chapter was littered with King Bran and the... <laughs> the. It, it had a lot of uh, that Simon, Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn. So, if you haven't read Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn, I really suggest you reading that. But I think that's all we... uh knocked it out we covered everything if you have any questions for us leave them in the comment section or email them to me if you're listening on podcast form oh the email address is Obsidian Podcast at com. and do you want to tell the people where they can find you
0: I'll go ahead and reiterate all my titles as people like making fun of me for, um, <laughs> I've got my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Joe magician, the podcast feed, the podcast feed, uh, the <laughs> wit and wisdom of Joe magician. Uh, you can also find me on the Mace monthly podcast, uh, on Twitter at the Joe magician at my blog, Joe magician.wordpress.com. And, and you can also find me, um, Every Saturday, except for this Saturday because I had to work, Every, uh, mostly every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, do a stream, maybe getting somebody soon to talk about dragons. I don't know who that could be. Me. Um, oh, wait. Yeah, it's you. Oh, it's Gray. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, yeah, on my YouTube channel, we do a two-hour stream followed by uh, Radio Westeros. They do theirs at 5. And on Tuesdays at 7 p.m., I do my Crusader Kings 2 streams, if you're into that. So, yeah, that is all the things.
1: I really appreciate you for coming on here with me and talking brand two. And as I said, I will be having a different guest every week. We're going to be getting the fandom involved. If you have a podcast, if you have a YouTube channel or a blog, that's okay. But if you don't, that's okay, too. We just want to talk. And don't forget, if you want to support Quinn's new graphic novel, Tadia, the link is in the description box. As always, thanks for watching, thanks for listening, and I will see you next week.